Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Over the weekend, NTD's Kelly Wright had a chance to sit down with freshman Congresswoman Harriet Hageman of Wyoming, elected last year to replace Liz Cheney as the lone representative of Wyoming. Here's a look at their exchange. Joining us now here on NTD News is a newly elected Congresswoman to the state of Wyoming. She is Congresswoman Harriet Hagerman. It's a pleasure to have you on the program. Let's start with the with where you are now standing. You're now fulfilling a role as a newly elected member of Congress. What's the task that's been given you? Well, a lot. So I am uh, Wyoming's lone congressional representative, so I represent the entire state. I am on the Natural Resource Committee, Judiciary. I am also on the Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. So I am, in, what the task there is to actually expose what our federal government has been doing, mostly our federal agencies, in terms of violating people's First Amendment rights, Second Amendment rights, Fourth Amendment rights. So we're tar targeting agencies such as the IRS, the Department of Justice, the FBI. Our first hearing that we had related to the First Amendment and the way that the um, federal agencies, specifically the FBI and others, have been conspiring with the, with the social media companies to suppress conservative speech. And we will continue to uh, pick at that. We will continue to, to look under the hood, if you will, and, and expose what's been going on with these agencies so that we can come up with some legislation to make sure that it never happens again. You know, you look at the landscape of what's happening in America right now with the political divide, uh, racial divide, there's all kinds of divides going on. How do we bring our nation to a place of finding common ground and having a common hope to get back to the freedoms of which you're talking about right now, which is in, inherent in our Bill of Rights as well as our Constitution. Well, it really is a divide and conquer strategy that the left is using and that this president is using. The speeches that he gives vilifying anyone that he disagrees with are, are just absolutely reprehensible. He has said some horrible things about conservatives just in the last couple of months. He's an incredibly divisive president. But one of the things that I am, am so shocked at is how we have now come to this, this idea of the fad of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, we are a melting pot, and that is another thing that has always set America apart. We're Americans first. We are not supposed to be looking at race to divide us. We're not supposed to be looking at sex to divide us. We're not supposed to be looking at the things that, th those kinds of things that really don't matter. We are, again, should be focusing on what unites us. Congresswoman, I, I, I really appreciate this conversation we're having. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you before we conclude, you've talked about what's at stake for America. You've also spoken about the hope that you have for America. And you've talked about how we get there. And my final question is, is there a way that we can get there right and left coming together to find that common hope, that common ground, so that we can forge ahead, albeit we have these uh, stark differences. Do you see any hope of people coming together in a bipartisan way, for example, on fentanyl, uh, as well as on what's going on with China? 
Do you see that as being perhaps, uh, are those seeds of, of, of spreading, not uh, perhaps total unity, but bipartisanship and saying we can be stronger and we can heal the soul of America together? I think we're going to have to. I'm a very optimistic person. I think that sunshine really is the best disinfectant. I think exposing what has been going on for our government is a good first step. I will also say that we passed a bill a couple of weeks ago that would prohibit President Biden from selling our strategic petroleum reserve oil to China. And we had, I believe, close to 100 Democrats who signed on to that. So that is, a, is, is an example of bipartisanship where we both recognize that we should not be emptying our SPR uh, and then selling the oil to China. Congresswoman Hagerman of Wyoming, a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Good to meet you as well. Thank you. The Chinese Communist regime just announced that it's boosting its military budget by 7.2 percent for the coming year. That marks the eighth consecutive year of single-digit percentage point increases. And to discuss the significance of this, we sat down with John Sidalides, geopolitical strategist at Trilogy Advisors. John Sidalides, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. John, I want to get your thoughts. The CCP has just raised its uh, military budget, mm -hmm. 7%, about $230 billion. Mm -hmm. um, how concerning is this to you, and why do you think they're doing it? Highly concerning to me as an American and as someone who is monitoring these issues very closely, Steve. And it's a very important issue for Washington to really focus on because we're trying to get a better sense as to what China's military direction is going to be in the years out, uh, especially since President Xi or General Secretary Xi has been very clear about enhancing China's ability to dominate Taiwan and potentially conquer it if necessary if Taiwan is not amenable to a peaceful unification with the People's Republic of China. I'm very concerned because this also sends a signal to America's allies in the Indo-Pacific region that China intends to continue to grow its military budget at an alarming pace. Keep in mind, Steve, that it's been about a 900% increase over the last 25 years. Uh, modern mankind has never seen the kind of military expansion that we've seen in the People's Republic of China under the Communist Party since the early 1990s. And the question is why? Especially because China has benefited more than almost any other country in the world under the liberal trading system that the U.S. has led and continues to protect since the late 1940s. So the question that we have is what are China's intentions? What are its military budget expansions intending or signaling to Taiwan, to Japan, to South Korea, to the Philippines, to India? and especially to the United States, given that China intends to project power deep into the Pacific Ocean and even into the Indian Ocean in the out years. Uh, they've said so in their speeches. There really is no secret here. And the question is really more a matter of timeline than of intentions. China intends to be the military colossus of the East Asian continent, perhaps the entire Asian continent. And the question will be, how does Washington respond and how do we work with our allies? to constrain China's ambitions and to persuade China's leaders that this is not the right direction for the party and for the people of China. John, you, you, you mentioned so many important points. Um, as you're speaking, uh, what do you think China's intentions are with this in, in general, specifically when it comes to Taiwan, and just how difficult is it to draw a red line when things are so ambiguous? My own sense is that China is looking to send a signal to Taiwan specifically, we just focused there first, that its unification with the People's Republic of China 
is a fait accompli. And the question is simply when and how. And from China's perspective, ideally, not militarily, that would have not only catastrophic consequences for Taiwan society, Taiwan's industry, and Taiwan's economy, but also for China's society, China's economy, and China's place in the world. And so I think Beijing would prefer a unification with Taiwan that does not involve a kinetic conflict. The issue is going to be to what extent does Taiwan, A, take care of its own self-defense needs, properly train its military, acquire the kind of military hardware and equipment to deter and dissuade China from any, any type of military conflict. And then really this is a matter for the people of Taiwan to decide in terms of their own political process. You have one party that is more status quo oriented and one that is perhaps seeking some type of a modus vivendi with the Communist Party of China. And this will play out in the democratic elections that we'll see in Taiwan next year uh, and beyond. But I think in many ways that China is looking to signal to Taiwan that there is going to be unification, that the United States is not going to be a long-term credible defender of Taiwan. And even beyond Taiwan, Steve, I think that, again, that China is looking to signal to countries such as Japan and South Korea and Philippines that the reality of geopolitics is that China is not going anywhere. China is going to remain the superpower of the Asian continent and that America is in decline, as Beijing likes to believe and looks to uh, communicate through its media and through diplomacy, and that in the end that all of the countries need to come to understand that they need to reorient their relations and their future direction away from the U.S. as a quote-unquote unreliable, non-credible ally and defender and look to make peace with China on China's terms. John Sidalides, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.